UVA has a new quarterback coming to campus. The NCAA has fully caved on allowing athletes to profit from their status as college athletes, but it's pushed a decision on the one-time transfer waiver back until next year. We'll talk about all that and much, much more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 10 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and I'm joined as always by the 13-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, good to talk to you. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm all right. I'm back from that forced week off, the, the furlough last week. So uh, I guess before we get too deep into things, I want to ask you, how much did you miss me? Well, Mike, since we haven't seen each other since, what, March 12th? <laughs> uh, I guess I've seen your face on a couple of Zoom sessions uh, with some Virginia and Virginia Tech personnel, but uh, it's, I mean, it's just so strange. I'll be so happy to actually see some of my work colleagues here, hopefully in the next few months. It would be nice. It was uh, Cinco de Mayo last night. We did a, a Zoom call with some friends. We had our margaritas and we sat there debating whether it would be okay to do the the lawn chairs in the yard six feet apart thing uh, because it's just different, right? I mean, it's fun to, to talk to people on the phone and on Zoom or to text and, and it's great that we're still connected in those ways, but it is different than sitting across from somebody in real life. Absolutely. We, we, we've done the whole driveway or sit in the front yard with 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 some family uh things especially on easter and i think we're going to do it again this sunday for mother's day oh that sounds good we've had a a number of birthdays here in the neighborhood and uh we've had kiddo my my six-year-old we've made big banners that say happy birthday and we've kind of walked past the house and stopped and, (laughs) and talked and you know try to try to do some things and make it as normal as we can we have uh family picnics in the front yard, which um, is nice. It's, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of effort for lunch every day, but uh, the kids really seem to enjoy it. So yes, it will be very nice to get, to get back to that level of normal um, and to certainly get past some of the business stuff that, that is forcing us uh, away for weeks at a time. While I was away, plenty of things happened. We've got a lot to catch up on. Let's get started with some football news at, at UVA and uh, some news that could have a big impact on the Cavaliers' offense this season. They've picked up a new quarterback, a, a transfer. Yes, Keaton Thompson, a graduate transfer, and that's that's key because he's eligible immediately from Mississippi State. And much like Kurt Bankert and Bryce Perkins, Two, two of the other notable transfers of the Bronco Mendenhall era. Thompson has two seasons of eligibility remaining. So it's it's going to be very intriguing come preseason camp, whenever that may be, because there was little to no depth behind Armstrong, and Bronco Mendenhall made clear during the offseason that the Cavaliers were in the market and sure enough, they found somebody. Yeah, I, I had a really interesting conversation a couple of weeks ago with Jason Beck, the quarterback coach at UVA. And I was sort of asking, you know, is UVA attractive to a transfer quarterback timing wise when you consider Brennan Armstrong's there? And, you know, Beck made the point that because Armstrong didn't get the spring 
didn't have those practices to sort of entrench himself as the starter, to really develop that chemistry. He thought that the the whole COVID crisis and the cancellations made UVA even more appealing. And uh, it'll be interesting when we get the chance to talk to Thompson. But I wonder if that's the case, if he looked at it as a place of instead of, hey, we looked at it as Brennan Armstrong's the next quarterback. He probably looked at it as, hey, there's a school that lost their starter and that job is wide open. Well, yeah. And if, if, if you look at the data, Brennan Armstrong's thrown 25 career passes <laughs> in, in, in college. So it, it, it's hard to consider someone, uh, at least from the outside, uh, with those kinds of numbers entrenched. And I'm sure that Thompson surveyed the landscape of a couple schools. I don't know where else he considered after entering the portal for the second time, by the way. But his his last time he entered on April 20th. So it did not take him long to settle on UVA. Let's talk a little bit about Brennan Armstrong. I I did a story on him that that ran last week. Uh, You know, he's the guy that this UVA coaching staff has sort of been putting up there as, as almost the prototype of what they want at quarterback. They compare him a lot to Taysom Hill, who just signed a big deal as a backup quarterback in the NFL with the Saints. He obviously played for this coaching staff at BYU, known for not a Bryce Perkins explosive running style, but a very effective, very tough physical running style, a very uh, smart, timely kind of knows when to tuck it and go, gets those extra yards. Uh, What do we know about Brennan Armstrong and, and, you know, what do we think about his chances here? Well, I think we know precious little. <laughs> I mean, we, we've seen him in, in, in spurts and we've, we've seen him as a holder on, on special teams and the occasional fake. Um, but other than that, we know what the coaching staff and his teammates have told us. And the, the one thing that sticks in my mind, Mike, is that Bronco Mendenhall is not one to lavish praise just for the heck of it. I think his evaluations of Brennan Armstrong are sincere. Uh, It's just going to be a matter of whether what he has observed during practices translates to the field whenever the season starts. Yeah, I think that's such a great point that every coach is a little bit different. Every coach is a little different with the media. Um, There are coaches who every player in their program, you know, is an All-American, is a Mm -hmm. star waiting. And you're right that Bronco's not like that. So when he makes the comparisons to Taysom Hill, when he talks about the strengths of a player, um, it does feel a little more genuine. And I think we all had a lot of reason to believe there's a lot of confidence in Armstrong. I don't know that bringing in Thompson necessarily means a, a lack of confidence in Armstrong, right? It's There was no depth at that position, right. and that was a scary position a year ago where you had Perkins and Armstrong, but at least Perkins was a known commodity. This year you were going in, you had Armstrong and Precious Little behind him. Lindell Stone's a guy there confident can run the offense can get them through some things but um, in terms of playing game after game after game um, I think they needed another quarterback whether it be starter or backup either way well just just remember last early last season Mike when Mm -hmm. they were so hesitant to really take you know give give Perkins the entire offense because Armstrong was hurt they they didn't want to expose Perkins to to too many running plays 
simply because if he went down, they thought they were in a heap of trouble with Armstrong on the shelf. And I don't think they they wanted to repeat. Hence, they were out there looking for depth. And in Thompson found someone who, one, should be able to provide that, and two, should be able to push Armstrong. I don't think this comes as any surprise to Brennan Armstrong. I imagine that Jason Beck and Bronco Mendenhall and Robert and I absolutely told him this was coming and challenged him with it. No doubt. And I think if you're Armstrong, perhaps you would have preferred a uh, a one-year grad transfer mm-hmm. who feels a little more like a backup, like an insurance policy, uh, than a guy who's there to compete. But um, obviously that that's part of football. And David, it, it does change sort of the, the tenor and, and it's odd to say that because everything's changed. Um, but when they get to fall camp, it's a little bit different when you have a guy versus when you have a competition. Uh, how, what's the impact on the team when instead of here's the guy, here's where we're going, this competition's going to be going on? Well, I, th- I think the, the team's going to be as curious as we are, right? Yeah. I mean, the, most of them, I'm sure, have no idea who Keaton Thompson is. Maybe they'll they'll dial up some some YouTube highlights from his high school days in New Orleans, or maybe from the games he started. He started two games uh, at Mississippi State, including a, by the way, a Tax Slayer Bowl victory <laughs> over Lamar Jackson in Louisville. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Thompson was a, was a true freshman. And the starter, Nick Fitzgerald, was injured, and he went in and ran for 140-some yards and three touchdowns, including the game winner, early in the fourth quarter. So there, there is some, some tape out there, as they like to say, and I'm sure that a lot of Virginia players are watching it. I've had a couple of people ask me on radio interviews, uh, would, would fall camp, especially if it's abbreviated, be enough time for this coaching staff to get a transfer quarterback ready. And I look back to Kurt Bankert, unless I'm misremembering here, Bankert was coming off the the knee injury at ECU. Didn't he come in in the fall? Yes. And certainly they got him ready uh, Mm -hmm. to play, to start, and were comfortable. So I think we have that, to go back to an old Al Grote term, we've got that demonstrated performance uh, that a coaching staff can get a quarterback ready um, in short order. Well, I I think they could, but I think the one difference is there was, that was Mendenhall's first season. There was no one on the roster who was his guy at quarterback. Armstrong is his guy, this staff's guy. They recruited him out of Ohio. They've groomed him for two seasons they know a lot more about him than they did the holdovers when they took over from Mike London and his group. Yeah, that's a great point too. And and Bronco made the point on one of our calls with him that, hey, you know, Brennan Armstrong didn't just join the program this spring and then have spring ball canceled. He's been around. He knows the offense. He knows the players. And, you know, this is one of the things when you bring a young quarterback up, uh, people always say, well, he hasn't had first team reps. He hasn't had a lot of first team reps. But if you think about it, the reps he's had are with the receivers and some of the linemen who are now ascending <laughs> right. to the first team. So th- that group has been together for some time. That's a, that's a very good point. And I, you know, I think it will be an advantage for Armstrong come, come the preseason. And this is just the way of the world, especially 
with football and even more, especially with quarterbacks. I mean, one of the reasons that Thompson was looking for a new home is that the new coach at Mississippi State, Mike Leach, comes in and immediately brings in K.J. Costello, a graduate transfer quarterback from Stanford. So Thompson sees that. He's got to think, okay, this quarterback room is becoming very crowded. I'm probably not going to have a seat, so I might as well look for my next home. And around and around and around the quarterbacks go. And yes. that brings us that brings us to this week's Who You Got. All right. Thanks, Mike. Who you got? We didn't get the chance to see how far Bryn and Armstrong came in spring, and we know next to nothing about Keaton Thompson. So how about a little guesswork? Armstrong or Thompson? Who starts the season at quarterback for UVA? David. I'm going to say Brennan Armstrong just because I, I think that's the safe choice. And I, I believe that, I don't know if hype is, is the right word, guys, but I just think that the evaluations we've heard from the coaching staff of Armstrong are genuine. I think he'll use this as motivation. And I also think it's possible that Thompson can fit as a hybrid, maybe catching some passes, maybe lining up in the backfield, maybe coming in under center in a wildcat type situation. But I think Armstrong will be your starter. Mike? You know, it, it makes a lot of sense, but I look at Kurt Bankert transferred from ECU, became the starter. Bryce Perkins transferred from junior college, became the starter. It, it just, it feels like there's a rhythm there, if you will, <laughs> uh, of doing that. And, and, and you know, I, I take your point, and Armstrong does have the advantage, uh, having been in the program. He does seem to fit the mold, but I don't think they went out to get Thompson unless they thought he could be this caliber of player, especially with the two years. Uh, so I think Thompson's going to be given every chance to win the job, and I think he's the guy uh, who does it. Now, I don't know. Maybe the, the question was who starts the season. Maybe Armstrong's a little bit ahead, but but I think I think for sure that Keaton, Tom, Keaton Thompson starts some games for UVA at quarterback this coming season. Well, Mike, and if, if you look back at his high school career, I mean, the numbers – are absurd. We certainly don't know the caliber of competition he had down there in Louisiana, but wow. And he was a four-star guy. He was the number five rated dual threat quarterback in that season's class, according to the 247 composite rankings. By the way, Tua was number one. So he was in some pretty elite group and had some Big time offers from the Power Five schools coming out of high school. Yeah, a chance to be maybe another transfer quarterback star eventually. Now, neither Brennan Armstrong nor Keaton Thompson have much name recognition right now, but college athletes can gain huge measures of fame, of, of notoriety, of um, having themselves be recognizable uh, during their careers. And now, they're going to be able to benefit financially from that. The NCA has kind of come around here, David, on on the name, image, likeness, and uh, what are the kind of some of the latest steps there, and 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 what does it signal for college athletes? Well, the NCAA has come around, Mike, because the <laughs> NCAA was forced to, to come around. I mean, for years, decades, however long you want to go back. 
the NCAA has fought this like it has fought little else uh, over over time. But the courts and state and federal government legislatures were just not going to stand for it. And they lost the O'Banning case. And then when California was the first state to pass a law about name, image, and likeness, it was in the cards. And the NCAA appointed a working group, a subcommittee to study the issue. And among the people on that committee were or was Virginia Athletic Director Carla Williams. So it'll be interesting to, to talk to her about this process. Now, what the NCAA announced last week was, yes, we're going to do this. We just don't know the details. <laughs> but we expect to pass something for all three divisions. Now, it will be separate rules. Division one will have its rules, two will have its, and three will have its. But it's expected to come to a vote at the January NCAA convention and go into effect in 21, academic year, excuse me, 2021-22. So we will see there are so many moving parts here. Right now, the NCAA would like to restrict it to commercial opportunities, commercial social media, things such as that. They have said no right now to group licensing which would allow for the return of video games, the NCAA football video games that were so, so popular. And that, oh, by the way, led to the O'Bannon lawsuit in, in the first place. So how it, how it all proceeds from here is, is going to be very, very interesting. And there's been a lot of pushback just in the last week. I've read comments from athletic directors around the country who think this framework is terribly flawed and just won't work. David, I don't, I don't want to put any words in your mouth. Do you and I agree uh, that there should be a system that allows athletes to profit from their name image like that, that there should be some way to get compensation to these athletes? That's how I feel. Are you on board with that? Oh, Absolutely. No, it's, it's positively hypocritical that they've been prevented from, from doing this uh, in the past. But how it's all going to, to work is, is going to be beyond complicated. Because the, the, the top athletes, Mike, and th there will be very few of them, but they're going to need advisors to, to handle all this. There's just no way to juggle for a Zion Williamson, say, or a Trevor Lawrence to juggle academics and go ahead and laugh all you want about mentioning that. But they do have to stay eligible. And then their, their, their practice and competition schedules. And then filter through all the myriad commercial opportunities that they'd have. Uh, it's going to be, and then how do you, how do you govern and monitor the advisors? And <laughs> I think, I think it, it bodes very well for those 
who are in the compliance industry because schools around the country are going to be hiring additional compliance staff. It certainly opens a number of, of can of worms. Uh, again, we, we agree that, that something has to happen, something has to be done. David, I'm curious, and, and this is a crystal ball. We have no way of knowing, but obviously Zion Williamson, a guy like that would have cashed in. Cole Anthony at Carolina this past year. Does the UVA softball player, does the Virginia Tech women's lacrosse player, uh, are some of these smaller sports or are some of these athletes, is there going to be any impact for them? Or are we just talking about, hey, the biggest prospects in football and basketball are going to get some money thrown their way and otherwise nothing much changes? I think some Olympic sports athletes, Mike, but I think they're going to have to be transcendent. The, the one that comes to mind to, for me in UVA is Morgan Bryan. Mm-hmm. When, when she was playing soccer at Virginia as a junior, she was the national player of the year. She had led the Cavaliers to the national semifinals, and she was coming back for her senior season. Could she have made considerable amounts of money as a camp counselor? as a spokesperson for some Charlottesville businesses, as somebody who could do some things on Instagram to promote a business or a cause? I think yes. But for just the regular all-conference men's lacrosse or women's swimmer, Mm, I'm thinking probably not. And you, you wrote about that over the weekend. People can still find that column up at, at richmond.com. And I'm curious if it does work for some of the other sports, if it's, if it's not just basketball and football stars, if the best lacrosse player gets a deal at, at UV from UVA, from Bodo's bagels, right. <laughs> goes mm-hmm. on and, and he's the pitch man or, or somebody at, at Virginia tech gets a deal from PKs, the, the local bar and pizza place. Does that create a whole new situation for coaches and, and, you know, the jealousy, the team dynamic of, Hey, now this athletes is getting something. And we hear about it in pro sports, right? Guys griping about somebody else's contract. Somebody else got more. What is this going to (laughs) do? And we don't know for sure. What is this going to do for coaches and the locker room dynamic? Do you think? It's really going to test their, their managerial skills and it's going to test team chemistry and some athletes are going to have to perhaps grow up faster than they might have otherwise because they are going to have to deal with jealousy and envy and uh, inequities because that's just some are going to be more sought after than others, and you're just going to have to deal with it. You know, David, before you joined us at the Richmond Times-Dispatch, my biggest concern was that you were going to be hired by one of the leagues as their commissioner because of your handle and grasp on these things. So I'm going to ask you to put on the commissioner hat for a second and think to yourself, how can this be policed? How can this system exist and you not have a case where – a very wealthy booster promises someone this endorsement, this or that, uh, and essentially skews the recruiting world in the way that the NCAA has always fought to avoid. Well, it's interesting, Mike, and it's a, it's a very good question, but remember when cost of attendance came in in 2015 
And there were these wide disparities of between schools as to how much of a stipend athletes were going to receive, depending on where you went to school and how far away from that school you lived. And if I heard one, I heard three dozen coaches talk about how this was going to skew the recruiting playing field. And so many schools that could offer by the federal formula greater cost of attendance stipends were going to rule the roost recruiting. Never happened. Just did not. You ask any coach now, you ask any commissioner, you ask any athletic director, it's never mentioned. It never comes up in recruiting. Now, in terms of boosters and such, yeah, they're going to get their hands in this. It's almost inevitable that there's going to be some messiness. But there are still scholarship limits, and there are still depth charts that have to be managed. You can only have so many stars in in your locker room. So I, I, Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State already get the best football recruits. And Duke, Carolina and the like, and UVA, they're always going to be able to recruit elite basketball players. That's not going to change with this. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think what may tweak a little bit is within those levels, right? If you're the top level, you're the schools, the Alabama, the Clemson and football, if you're at the top and you're in those recruiting battles, we may see some recruiting battles swung by which car dealership promises you what and, and some things like that. But I think you're right in terms of uh, it's not going to shift the power uh, from one school to another. It's maybe going to impact individual battles. It's it's very complicated. There's a lot to it. And it also, it brings us to this week's Take It or Leave It. Thanks, Mike. It's always a question of money. It is take it or leave it, guys. The NCAA will be able to regulate the new name image likeness policies in a way that prevents boosters from corrupting college basketball and football any more than they already have. Mike. I'm going to leave it. I don't I don't see that part of it working. I think uh, they've opened a can of worms with this framework uh, that is just going to create problems. Um, I think you're going to see when Alabama and Auburn go head to head, sometimes it's going to come down to who ponied up more. And, and maybe that's not the end of the world, right? We have this image in our head that it is, that, that we have amateurism and all this, and that that shouldn't be the case. And it, it isn't the free market. It isn't capitalism. But I don't think they're going to be able to regulate in the way they're envisioning. And I I mean, I look at the fact that they struggle to enforce the rules they have on the books now. Uh, they struggle to keep people in line. They struggle to get to the bottom of things. And and that's not even a knock on the NCAA. It's, it's hard. It's complicated. But my answer is, hey, I don't think they can do it right now. There's no way they're going to be able to do it after this. So that's no from Mike David. Absolutely leave it. And I think Mike hit it. At the end of his answer, the, the NCAA has trouble policing the current rule book. You add this layer, it's they, they have no chance. Well, while we're on the topic of the NCAA, uh, 
the governing body of college athletics, they pushed back their vote on the one-time transfer waiver, delaying it uh, at least a year. That was the rule that designed to say that any athlete can essentially switch schools one time without a penalty, without having to sit out a a season. David, that was an issue that had a ton of momentum, and it seemed like we were steamrolling toward it being passed. And we saw players uh, transferring almost in expectation of, hey, this waiver is going to be there. I'm going to be able to play. Uh, why did the brakes get pumped on this? Is it just too much going on right now? Or, or what's the what's kind of the backstory there? That's exactly the reason, Mike, that the brakes got pumped is because there is so much else going on with the pandemic. And there are so many issues in the micro right now that they didn't want to throw this into the mix. And the crazy thing is, and and I think this gets lost sometimes, is that virtually every NCAA athlete can already transfer without having to sit out. This This only entails five sports, football, men's and women's basketball, baseball, and ice hockey. Those are the only five. I mean, it's preposterous that the athletes in those five sports can't transfer without having to sit out a year while other athletes can. And I mean, eventually this has got to change. And I think it's just going to happen in 21-22 instead of the upcoming academic year. What's interesting to me is, I mean, this has potentially big effects locally at at Virginia Tech and and Virginia. You know, Virginia Tech would very much like to have Raheem Blackshear, the transfer from Mighty Rutgers, uh, on available to play the 2020 football season. I think Justin Fuente and, and his staff see him as a very valuable weapon on offense. Well, now that may not happen. And what about the Walker kid, the running back that Virginia took from Hopewell and who transferred from, from Indiana? I know he is looking to submit a waiver and may already have, but you never know if the NCAA is going to approve that. So now these kids are in limbo. Yeah, if there's one thing we've learned over the years, and, and most recently at Virginia Tech with the the Brock Hoffman, I'll say fiasco because I still don't understand how that right. kid wasn't wasn't granted a waiver by the NCAA. Um, one thing we've learned, we we can't know what to expect from them. You know, I talked to to Ronnie Walker, the, the running back who uh, is UVA bound, and he's hoping that he has a case in returning close to home. And the NCAA track record has shown that. Going back closer to home, uh, especially if you're this close, it does make a difference, but you don't know what to expect. And it just adds another layer for coaches who are trying to plan and for these athletes who are trying to make decisions. And I guess the one thing I will say is some of this indecisiveness by the NCAA, some of this uh, limbo they've created, it kind of does maybe weed out some of the... if you're genuinely going home, well, you're going to go home either way, right? You're going to go to play closer to home, whether you have to sit or not. Um, so I think for you know a kid like Walker, it's genuine. His desire was to come closer to home, to be closer to family. Um, his mom's a single mom, to help her with his siblings. Uh, that's going to happen either way. The NCAA can't stop you 
from changing schools. Uh, so I think it proves, in a sense, his case that that this was a genuine transfer. But I'm with you. You know, I, I think that it's bizarre that it's taken this long um, for this issue to come to the front. It, it just seems unfair, and it seems particularly unfair as the rest of college athletics landscape is changing. Coaches jump freely, huge contracts, uh, guys coming in and coming out, the, the existence of the transfer portal, all of these things seem to be going, in my opinion, kind of the right direction. It's, it's freedom. It's people can do what they want. And then here's this one arcane rule that, oh, wait, in these five sports, if you want to do it, there's a penalty. That's right. odd. Right. It's just like we were talking about, Mike, with name, image, and likeness. If if you have a special skill and you're just a regular student in college, you're free to market yourself. You are free to give lessons to outsiders, or you can do a, you can endorse any product that you want, or you can do things on social media, or you can create your own business and d- design some apparel or record some music. But just because you're an athlete, you can't do that? I mean, it's it's preposterous. Yeah, there, there is a lot of overlap, and it reminds me, and, and I hope I'm getting the facts right, and if I mess it up at all, I'll come back next week and correct it. But I remember uh, a walk-on at the end of the JMU basketball bench named Johnny Naparlo. Uh, nice kid, fine player. He w- wasn't an impact player in the CAA. He was just a walk-on, be there for practice, maybe get in some garbage time like we see, and the fans always love it. And I remember the NCAA ruling him ineligible to compete because he had profited from his image likeness. He was an aspiring country music uh, artist, and he had recorded, if I'm remembering this correctly, he had recorded a a solo album of him playing uh, country songs with his guitar, uh, you know, and, and they were for sale. And the NCAA came in and said, you're violating the rule. You're profiting from your status as an athlete. And I remember thinking, one, respectfully to Johnny Naparlo, he had no status as an athlete. He was a walk-on <laughs> at the end of the bench. And two, he's profiting, if he profits here, from his musical talent. And what right does the NCA have to limit what he can do with that? So all of these issues interconnect. And I think overall what we've seen, and I support it, is a push to give student athletes, just more freedom, just more rights, just more um, control over their own lives and, and their own future. And, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And if Mike, if, if they don't do it on, <laughs> on both, on, on, the, on the transfer policy and on name image likeness, eventually the whole house of cards is going to collapse. Yeah. And I think it's good point that we don't want to rush to give the NCA too much credit here. This yeah. is not, their benevolence. This isn't even their eye opening. <laughs> this is their being violently shoved to where they need to go. Absolutely. All right, David, before we wrap up this week, there, there were a few other items that we wanted to touch on. Uh, again, we're, we're starting to get back a little closer to normal and, and they're starting to get a little more news and a little more sports things happening. Uh, let's start at UVA where coaches and administrators announced that they'd be accepting some, some salary reductions, uh, trying to find ways to help the athletic department, the university cope with the financial impact of, of COVID-19. We're seeing a lot of this around the country, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. Even even in the ACC at Syracuse and, and Wake Forest and, and Louisville went completely drastic. 
and eliminated 40 positions, put 45 others on 60-day furloughs. Now, that's, that's big time, and that's, that's drastic. UVA announced that I believe it was 51 uh, athletic department personnel plus uh, the major head coaches and AD Carla Williams were accepting salary reductions ranging in 5 to 10%. It was a, a scale type thing. <clears throat> there was no mention of how much they projected that the reductions uh, would save, but it also coincided or, or came shortly after University President Jim Ryan and his executive cabinet uh, announced similar measures. And Mike, you look around the country and salaries are a huge part of an athletic department's budget. At UVA, let me do some quick math here. Last year, it was more than $44 million out of a $112 million budget. At Virginia Tech, it was $34 million out of a $94 million budget. So you're talking between 35 and 40% of the budget is salaries. And since you're about to take a revenue hit, you have to cut somewhere. Yeah, and it, it's, uh, it's good image-wise also, I think, for the coaches to be involved in this. They make some of the largest salaries, especially you talk at state schools and, you know, coaches end up being the highest paid state employees uh, in a lot of places, you know, not picking on anyone in particular in a lot of places, that's the case. So when you talk about five or 10% uh, of those salaries, it's significant. And uh, it's significant in the sense that it, it will help. And I think it's significant in the sense that it sends the right message of, Hey, we're all in this together. You know, we're not we're not sitting there um, immune to what's happening while it impacts our athletes or while it impacts the rest of the university staff or the community. Um, I think it's just a good look to, to, to be willing to kind of work on this together. It, it absolutely is. Optics matter. Mm -hmm. And Mike, I'll take you back to 1991 when state budget cuts prompted a wage freeze for state employees, including those at state schools. And Frank Beamer, then a very young football coach at Virginia Tech, declined his raise, his contracted raise, and essentially said, we're all in this together. Yeah, Frank Beamer, in many ways, ahead of his time, especially when you think about the community building, the image building, the brand building. Um, some coaches just get it. Some coaches just get it. And speaking speaking of coaches, there will be a new one in ACC basketball this coming season. Wake Forest, which obviously dumped Danny Manning last week, they moved pretty quickly to hire Steve Forbes. What do you make of the hire? What can you tell us about Steve Forbes? Well, he comes from East Tennessee State. And suffice to say, the Buccaneers were wildly successful during his time there. In fact, ETSU, Mike, won 130 games in Steve Forbes' five seasons. Wake Forest has won 129 games in the last 10 seasons. Oof. 
you know, I think we all knew that Wake has been struggling, but David, when you put those numbers out there, right? You just you hurt for them. Yeah, no, you you really do, and I I think those that jarring contrast explains more than anything else why Steve Forbes is the new coach. And oh, by the way, he has a relationship with Wake Forest AD John Curry. They both worked together at Tennessee when Forbes was an assistant coach there under Bruce Pearl, and Curry was a senior-level administrator. Now, Forbes's time at Tennessee did not end well. He and Pearl and the rest of the staff were fired under the cloud of an NCAA investigation, and Forbes was admonished by the NCAA for not being forthright with investigators and in essence, trying to cover for his boss, which some would find admirable, others would find foolish. The NCAA was not amused and gave what gave Forbes what is called a one-year show cause, which essentially banned him from coaching in the NCAA for a year. He made a sidetrack to junior college and then came back into the business as an assistant under Greg Marshall at Wichita State. Yeah, and I think you're right that his his track record at ETSU shows an ability to, and I'm not dogging their, their, what they have there, but to maybe win and do more with less. And in some ways, the hiring reminded me of, of Virginia Tech targeting Mike Young. Now, you know, Mike Young, obviously hometown guy for, for the Virginia Tech area. Forbes, you mentioned the connection with Curry and, and that working relationship. But, you know, when you boil them down to their essence, it's like, okay, this wasn't necessarily the big name hire. This wasn't the, the this wasn't his old boss, Bruce Pearl, you know, getting his other shot when he came back. But this is a guy who has proved he can win. Uh, he can win with less. He can he can get the job done uh, and, and be consistent. It does remind me in a lot of ways of what Mike Young had done um, over maybe a longer time at, at Wofford. Uh, and that is becoming an attractive path for athletic directors, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the, it, they, they both come from the Southern Conference. And, and oh, by the way, the other finalist for the Wake Forest job, was also from the Southern Conference, and that was UNC Greensboro's Wes Miller. And yeah, I think it is a, a, a very attractive uh, path. And look at Justin Fuente. Where did he, you know, he, he proved his head coaching chops at Memphis. You know, clearly not a, a, a power five program where he probably had to, well, he certainly had to do, uh, make do with less. And I'll tell you what, Virginia Tech and Wake Forest can only hope that these two Southern Conference alums are as successful as the three previous who came into ACC basketball. And that would be Lefty Drizel at Maryland, who came from Davidson, Terry Holland at Virginia, who also came from Davidson, and Bobby Crimmins at Georgia Tech, who came from Appalachian State back when the Mountaineers were in the Southern Conference. If they approach those cats, Deacons and Hokies fans are going to be really happy. The Southern Conference, now the the cradle of coaches, is what we've, <laughs> we've got there. Well, 
That's our show for this week. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts. Just find the RTD Podcast channel. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers online, uh, including a sports-only option at richmond.com. Your support is much appreciated. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times, Dispatch, and Richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join us again next week. Music.